Hebrews 6 is one of the most controversial passages in the Bible, and people have a lot of different opinions about it. And more than that, what I kind of want to focus on today is, is how much fear and, and hopelessness, even in despair, this causes, this, this chapter causes in so many people. This chapter, and then there's also a passage in, in Hebrews chapter 10 and chapter 12, some warnings that uh, when many people come across them, it leads them to despair and feeling like uh, the way these passages and apply to them is that it means they're beyond hope. They're past the point of being able to be saved. They they become convinced by this chapter that they have gone too far for God to save them. Um, and, and maybe they've sinned in such a way that now it's impossible for them to turn back and repent and be saved. And so I thought that for a, for a while about this passage, I really struggled with it. And it caused a lot of fear in a time uh, years ago in my life when I was um, wrestling with sin in, in my life and, and struggling and, and stumbling and failing. And, and then I became convinced through this verse that I had gotten to the point of being uh, beyond uh, the possibility of being saved. I thought I was basically, in essence, God had locked me out of salvation and I had sinned too much. My sin had basically uh, become too great, too big for the gospel to cover and God had now locked me out um, because of my sin. So after wrestling with this verse, I came to a conclusion that that made me believe that's not at all what this is teaching. And, and there's not um, absolute hopelessness and despair in this passage. And so I'm going to read this and I'm going to just kind of really quickly jump to what I think brings clarity about what this passage is talking about and, and will show why if you are in a place where you want to follow God, you want to repent, you want to continue or turn back to your relationship with him, then you are not beyond hope. You're not without um, hope and God has not locked you out of salvation. He has not given up on you. Um, he's not uh, uh, gotten to a place where he said you've sinned too much that you can't no longer be saved. So Hebrews 6 verse 1 he says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Okay, so what is the this? What is what is the this here that he's wanting to do that he says God must permit? Well, he's wanting to leave the elementary doctrine of Christ, he's wanting to go on to maturity. Okay, so these believers, what they had done is they had um, reverted back from Christ, from doctrine about Jesus and simplicity of focus on him. They had basically repented. They had turned back to elementary doctrine. They had begun to relate to God based on Old Testament, Old Covenant ways of thinking. And so rather than depending on God and salvation based on, on the grace of Christ and on the work of Jesus on the cross, uh, they had turned back. They had become carnal and fleshly and they were operating. They were functioning in their, their walk with God based on law. They were relating to God on the basis of self-effort, self-exertion, uh, self-reliance, their own ability to be good, to do good, rather than depending by faith on Christ. So this, what the author of Hebrews is wanting to do, and he says God must permit this, this is he's wanting to leave 
the elementary doctrine. He's wanting to go on to maturity. That's what he's wanting to accomplish by the things he's about to do. So in, in the chapters following chapter six, in, in chapter seven, eight, and so on, he begins to go on into teaching deeper truths about Jesus. He he goes on and he begins to talk about Melchizedek and, and things in the Old Testament that are deeper uh, levels of understanding of who Jesus is. So what he's wanting to do is for these people who have begun to operate in an elementary way in their spiritual walk, they become spiritually stagnant, basically, and fruitless. They were no longer progressing in maturity because they were now relating to God based on law. They weren't relating to God based on faith. And he's wanting them to turn back, to repent, and turn back to Christ. So he's wanting them to, this This is what he's wanting to do. He's wanting these believers to, as he goes on after Hebrews 6, as he goes on in the following chapters, he's wanting them to be able to go on with him, to leave these elementary, these elementary ways that they're living in and to go on in maturity. So that's the this that he's wanting to accomplish. He says, this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible... Here's, here's, here's the part where it starts getting tricky. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Okay, so let's go back real quick to this description of these people. One of the most controversial things about this passage is whether or not this is talking about saved individuals. Is he describing the people who are falling away that he's talking about? Are these people that were ever truly saved? Are these saved people or are they false converts? What are they? Basically, I want to point out that these are people who they've been enlightened. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God in the powers of the age to come. So I believe all these things, ultimately what they indicate is that these people truly did have faith. They truly were saved. And that's my opinion. That's, I think, to me, the basic, plain, straightforward reading of this is that that's what he's communicating. If, you, if you've tasted the goodness of the word of God, well, what does the, the word of God accomplish? The word of God accomplishes faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you've tasted the goodness of the word of God, Jesus said you have to eat his flesh. You have to taste it. You have to drink his blood. So some would say that, well, you can taste without you know, fully experiencing. I don't think that's what this is trying to say. I think this is talking about people who have tasted the word of God. These are genuine believers who have uh, by faith, they have tasted of Jesus. They have really encountered him. There's been actual real spiritual life. They've shared in the Holy Spirit, the experience of the Holy Spirit. This, this again, I, I'm just going to kind of leave that there and say that I think this is clearly talking about people who have actually had a real uh, experience with Jesus. They truly are saved in, in, in the sense that we think the word saved means. And so... What he says about these people is that it's impossible if these people have fallen away to restore them again to 
repentance. Okay, so we'll get to this word repentance here in a minute. But first, what does it mean when he says fallen away? Fall away. So this word, it's, it's strong language. It implies something uh, decisive, meaning it's a, it's a willful denial of Jesus. This isn't just a struggle or a stumble or a wrestling with sin. This isn't even just a past experience of denying Jesus. This is a falling away. It's a, it's a present state of denying Jesus. It's Again, it's willful. We see in Hebrews 10, he talks about that. Like if we go on sinning willfully, um, we, we have a fearful expectation of judgment. And so falling away, again, it's something decisive. So then let's go on. He says, it's impossible if they've fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Well, what is, what's, what's he mean by repentance here? These people have fallen away. So they are denying Jesus. And it's impossible for these people to repent. Well, what does he mean by repent? Well, I think we can connect this back to these things. What's he wanting them to repent of? What's his goal here in this chapter? Well, he's wanting them to leave, right? To turn back from the elementary doctrine. He's wanting them to leave that, to go on to maturity. He's wanting them to repent away from, basically, we could put it this way. He's wanting them to repent of Old Testament or Old Covenant ways of thinking and move back to New Covenant, New Testament or uh, New Covenant. Basically, he's wanting them to repent back toward thinking about Jesus, to getting their, their eyes off of, of this and turning back to this, to turning back to new covenant realities of Jesus. Because what that repentance does, turning back away from this, again, the elementary doctrine that they had become consumed by, living and relating to God based on law, what that produces is stagnancy and, and no fruitfulness and dryness and barrenness. He's wanting them to turn back to Jesus because ultimately what that's going to produce is maturity. He's wanting them to go on into maturity. He's about in the following chapters to talk about mature things, doctrines of Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. He's wanting these people to turn away from their immature way of thinking so they can go on with him into these mature doctrines and understanding of Jesus and the full rest, the full salvation they have in him. Uh, the rest that he describes in Hebrews uh, chapter one through four and, and how Jesus is greater than Moses and he's brought a better covenant. Um, and he's wanting them to go on into that and understand all of these things. And so when he talks about the impossibility of repentance, I think what he's saying is it's impossible for these kind of people that he's describing who have fallen away, it's impossible for them to, to do this, to go on into maturity in Christ. They can't, it's impossible for them. Why? Why? What makes it impossible for these people to do that? Is it because God has locked them out? Is it because God has decided that they've sinned in such a way that now they can no longer be saved or because they committed this past action? that now they've locked themselves out of, out of hope, out of God's grace. Uh, they've gone too far. Their sin is, is, is too much for, for the gospel. Is that what it's saying? No. Let's look at, look at again, verse six. What's making it impossible? So he says, they've fallen away. 
and that's making it impossible to restore them again to repentance. And here's this word, since. Okay, so this is here because it's, this is going to now, he's answering what is making it impossible for them to repent. So repentance is impossible since or because the reason for this impossibility to repent, I'm about to explain it to you, is basically what the author of Hebrews is saying. Since they are crucifying, once again, the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Okay, so two things they're doing. They are crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. The very significant thing that shifted my perspective on this and gave me hope again when I saw this is when I looked into the actual wording of, of the, these phrases. They are crucifying and they are holding him up. What does this mean? Well, these, both of these, if you look at the original language, and I encourage you to go and do this, this, both of these words are in the uh, present active tense. So what are they doing? What's making it impossible for these people to repent and to go on with the relationship with God, to go on into maturity? Well, what's making it impossible is that they are presently in an active state of heart of crucifying Jesus. What this means is that this is not describing just a one-time past action. It's not talking about just these people committed a past event or a past sin in the past where they, they stumbled or they maybe had a, a, a day of denying Jesus or even a season of denying Jesus. Peter denied Jesus for a season, you could say, for, 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 for maybe it was just a period of hours, but he denied him. Judas denied Jesus too. But what made the difference between Peter and Judas? Well, Peter didn't go to his death in that state of denial. He didn't continue on in that state, but he turned back. Judas continued on. He continued into death in that present state of, of crucifying the Son of God and, and holding him to contempt. Basically, he, he went on into death in a state of, uh, of actively denying the truth of who Jesus was and not receiving the truth of him by faith. So what is, again, what's making it impossible? What's the reason for the impossibility that these people repent? And remember what they're repenting toward is going back into maturity, leaving the elementary doctrine of Christ. What's making that impossible for these people he's describing is the fact that they are in a present state of actively crucifying Jesus holding and holding him up to contempt. Again, these words are both in the present and active tense. So what that means is that if you are not in this state, then, then it's not impossible for you to repent and to go on in your relationship with God and to be blessed by him. So I know some of you at this point might be seeing the things that are being described in Hebrews 6 about falling away and about crucifying the Son of God. And you might be thinking that, well, I did that. Like you might be thinking about your past, your moments of failure that you're struggling with and fearful about right now. And you might be saying, I did crucify Jesus at that point in time. Like that's what I did. I did really fall away. And so you might be thinking now that it is impossible then for you to repent. Well, again, the significant thing here is that this doesn't say it's impossible for those who crucified past tense, the son of God. It doesn't say that it's impossible for those who held up Jesus to contempt in the past. It says it's impossible for those who are crucifying 
present tense, the Son of God, and are presently holding him up to contempt. And so maybe you did, maybe you did at one point fit the category of what this is describing, of falling away. Maybe that did at one point apply to you. But if you're here now and you're not in that same state, if you're not And remember, again, what falling away means here. It means an active rejection of Jesus. It means uh, an active denial of who he is. If you're here and you're wanting Jesus, even in your weakness, if you're wanting him, you're wanting to find salvation in him, you're wanting to find hope in him. But you're thinking that this past action, this past failure disqualifies you. You need to know that that's not what's going on here. Because again, this doesn't say... If you've crucified in the past the Son of God, then now it's impossible. It says if you're you are presently crucifying present tense the Son of God, that is what is making the repentance here impossible. So these people are presently denying Jesus. If you are presently denying Jesus, well, of course you can't repent and turn away from elementary doctrine. Of course, you can't go on in your relationship with God. Of course, you can't be brought into maturity and grow in your, your righteousness and sanctification. They've been to a place where, right, they've, they've tasted, they've tasted, they've been enlightened, they've seen, they've, they've tasted the word of God. They've, they've seen the truth of who Jesus is and even walked in it, in it for a time. But they've gotten to a point where they said, I don't want that anymore. Jesus isn't good enough. He's not worth my time. He's not worth my devotion. He's not worth my love. He's not worth me me doing things his way. If that's where you're at, if that's where a person is at, well, obviously, they cannot go on into maturity. They can't go on in their relationship with God. They can't repent away from, from empty ways of living. They can't repent from anything. They can't. Of course, you can't turn from sin. How can you turn from sin when you're rejecting Jesus, the very source of repentance, you could say, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. If you're in a state where you're actively rejecting the Son of God, well, there's nothing else. There's no other, there's no other option. Uh, there, there's no other salvation. The only person, if you're listening to this, the only thing that would make it impossible for you to repent and to go on in your relationship with God is if you choose to stay in a place of presently and actively crucifying Jesus, holding him up to contempt. Again, these words are in the present active tense. So he's telling us the thing that's making it impossible for these people to repent is their present activity of holding Jesus up to contempt and crucifying him. Basically, what this means is that they are uh, denying Jesus. And what did Jesus say? If you deny me before man, I'll deny you before the Father. So it's, here is not, it's not saying that God has locked these people out of salvation. They are locking themselves out by refusing Jesus. Jesus is the source of maturity, right? Colossians talks about how when we hold fast to the head that we, we, we receive growth, that through him we receive growth and maturity. Um, and that's what the author of Hebrews is wanting these people to do, to reconnect to the head so they can go on in maturity. But it's going to be impossible for them to do that if they're re- rejecting and denying the very source of maturity. He's wanting these people to go on to maturity, but if they're in a present state of denying Jesus, how can they possibly go on in maturity? How can they possibly go on in their relationship with God? But there's hope in this verse for you, anybody who wants to be 
going on in your relationship with God, there's, there's an open door. There's an open door always. The only one who, there's a good quote, the, the only time we run out of chances with God is when we stop taking them. So what's making this condition hopeless for these people is that they've stopped taking chances with God. They've refused the way, the truth, and the life. They're presently refusing him. Not just a past action. Again, that's important that you get that. It's not just a past moment of rejecting Jesus even that's being described here. That's, that's a bad thing, obviously. We're not endorsing that. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a present and active state of rejecting Jesus. And, and that is the person who has to fear the, the warnings of this verse. But if you are wanting to be saved, you're wanting to go on in your relationship with God, if you've stumbled and struggled in the past and had dark seasons, you're not locked out of God's salvation. He's not locked you out. If you're wanting to repent, then these things here, you're not crucifying the Son of God. If you're, if you're looking at Jesus and you're knowing he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, he's the only way, and I need him, but I feel like my heart's too evil. I feel like maybe my motivations aren't right. Maybe, maybe God has not really given me the right kind of repentance. All those things, I think, are lies from the enemy to get your eyes off of Jesus and onto yourself. If you're in a state where you're looking at Jesus and you're knowing he is the way and I want to go that way, but I feel like I'm not what I need to be in order to get there. Well, that's, that's exactly, again, that's what Satan wants you to think. That's where he wants you to be. The, and, and that's the reason why is because that's exactly why the gospel is good news. It's good news because the gospel is about us being able to look inside of ourselves and see that there's nothing good in us. There's no, there's no righteousness in, in me. There, there's weird motivations and maybe mixed motivations and, and there's, there's failures in the past and deep, dark sins. But Jesus is bigger than that. He's enough. Jesus went higher into victory than we could possibly go. The victory we can't get, Jesus went and got that victory. And as deep as we can go into sin, the deepest sins that we've committed, Jesus on the cross went deeper in, 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 in what he did on the cross. He went deeper than our deepest sins. And so that is why the only thing that can keep us from that salvation is if we are willfully, persistently continuing in the state of hardening our hearts and crucifying Jesus by saying he's, he's, not, he's not the way, the truth, and the life. And we're saying, I don't want him, I don't need him, and I'm going to try another way. I'm going to reject him. That's the only thing, that's the only person here who needs to fear being locked out of God's salvation and not being able to go on with him. But if you want to be saved, if you want to go on in your relationship with God, the door is wide open for you. And like Hebrews says in the same book, he says he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So who cannot be saved to the uttermost? Well, those who refuse to come to God through Jesus. If you try to come another way, like, like some of these people might have been doing, they might have fallen away to where they're totally abandoning Jesus and saying they're entirely now going to rely on the law. That's the person who has to fear the warnings of this passage, but not the person who uh, wants to be saved and wants to find salvation. If that's you, there is hope, and God has uh, open arms, and he loves you, and he wants to embrace you and save you and, and wash you clean of the worst things that you think you've done. Um, nothing is, is too much for God to handle. 